Well, turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 15, to this uh, parable of the the lost son or the two lost sons, and uh, let's pray. Father, your word tells us that it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So strengthen our hearts with the story of grace, this truth, this teaching of grace today. And where our hearts are cold, or maybe even dead and not yet alive in Christ, may you, by your grace, come to us and find us if we are lost and make us alive again if we are dead. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever started telling a, a joke <clears throat> and then you realize as you tell it, you've forgotten the punchline. It kind of destroys the joke, doesn't it? Uh, did you hear about the dog that ran 10 miles to retrieve a stick? No, well, that's too bad. You'll have to come back next week for the punchline. Uh, well, Dale Ralph Davis, one of the commentators, says it's easy to miss the punchline of the parable of what we sometimes call the prodigal son, the son who has wasted the, the money. And, of course, the punchline is at the end of the parable, which we're not looking at today, and is connected to the reason, as I was saying earlier with the children, uh, why Jesus told these three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the two lost sons. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees, these experts in the Jewish law, they were grumbling, they were murmuring, they were muttering, this man, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And remember, if you were here last week or heard the sermon online, that their grumble, as Dale Ralph Davis has said, their grumble is in fact the gospel. Their grumble is the gospel, the good news of Jesus' love for sinners, a love which welcomes sinners and eats with them, a love which is both attractive and offensive. If we know we are lost and need to be found, the gracious love of Jesus is attractive. It's like a sweet-smelling perfume. It's like clover to a honeybee. But if we are infected with the COVID-like virus of self-righteousness, just like the COVID virus affects our sense of smell, so the virus of self-righteousness and pride means that the grace of Jesus is like a stink, a stench in our nostrils. It's as if Jesus has just climbed out of the sewers rather than come down from heaven. So let's not lose sight of the reason that Jesus told the parable, uh, the punchline that we'll come to next week, that the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother, perhaps even more so. And yet the father reaches out to him also in love. And that is why Jesus came, sent by God to seek and to save the lost. Now, we'll look at the first part of today's passage, verse 11 to 24, under two headings. Uh, I've run out of headings for the rest of the passage, but the, the first part, I've got two headings, uh, a shocking demand and a desperate situation, a shocking demand and a desperate situation. Firstly, then, a shocking demand. Even in our own society, for a son to say to his father, I wish you were dead, is a shocking thing to say. But it would sound even more shocking in first century Palestine in the time of Jesus. But that was what the younger son said to his father. Words to that effect. Verse 12, Father, 
give me my share of the estate. Give me everything that would be mine when you die. And this remarkable man does what the younger son asks. And divides his property. Think of what that would actually mean practically to do that. Selling land, selling cattle. Divides his property between the two sons. Now it's clear that the son wants his share of his father's estate for a reason. And that is to get away as far as possible from his father's house and from his father's authority. To put as much distance between himself and his father as he possibly can. So we read that not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a far country, for a distant land. He wants to live life his way. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to pursue his own dreams. He wants to pursue pleasure in whatever way he can and to use what his father has given him to live life without any thought of his father. And today it's true, isn't it, that many people would praise the son for pursuing his dreams. Many would say, go for it. Live life as you want to live it. Think of yourself and don't worry about anyone else. You are free. But it's a strange kind of liberation that uses the good things God gives to us to turn our backs on God and live life without him. It never ends well. It never ends well. And it never ends well because we are made and God has made us to worship him. To worship him. That's why we have been made in the image of God to glorify him. And that's where true freedom lies. The freedom to be what we are meant to be. We sometimes say you can't put a square peg into a round hole. Why is that? Because a square peg was not made for a round hole. And likewise, if human beings are not worshipping God and giving glory to God, they're not doing what we were designed to do. That is where true freedom lies, when we are functioning as we are meant to function, when we are living as we were created to live. On the other hand, to follow our sinful and selfish desires without any thought of God is to be enslaved by them. To be enslaved by them. And turning our back on God never ends well. So at the end of verse 13, we read that the son squandered his wealth. He wasted his wealth in wild living. He wasted his money in reckless, riotous living. Drink, drugs, sex, you name it. He bought it and he tried it. But of course the money ran out and the fair weather friends disappeared as quickly as the snow in the April sunshine when the parties ended and the son's situation became desperate. And so we read of the desperate situation in verse 14 to 16. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods, the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No one, no one gave him a crumb. That's how desperate a situation. He's without money. He's without food. 
He's without friends. He's forced to work with pigs, which are not just smelly, but unclean under the law of Moses. And you see the picture that Jesus is picturing there. How far has this son traveled from his father's home? Look how far he has fallen. And he has hit rock bottom. Now, you may be thinking here today that, well, I'm not able to identify with this son uh, in every detail. And that is, I guess, true. Probably for most of us, if not all of us, we may not be able to identify with the Son in every detail. But many of us will have known times when we have felt desperate and been desperate, when we have hit rock bottom, when we have felt helpless and hopeless, washed up on the shore by the storm that our sins unleashed, when we've been battered by the consequences of our own foolish choices, like the younger sons. But isn't it so often true by God's mercy that it's when we come to the end of ourselves that we begin to turn to God? It's when we become to, come to the end of ourselves and the end of our own resources that we cry out to God. It's when we recognize that we need help that we begin to look for help. And for the son, it is in the depths of his despair that he comes to his senses. He comes to himself. He, we might say today, wises up. He wises up. He remembers there is a place he once called home. There's a man he once knew and respected as his father. A man who might just take him in again if he can make a deal with him. And it's a glimmer of light, isn't it, in the dark. It's the first rays of dawn and the horizon of hope. Uh, one, of the, one of the books I was reading this week on this passage mentioned a, a poem by the uh, American poet Robert Frost, who lived for some time in the, the UK. And the poem's called The Death of the Hired Man. The Death of the Hired Man. And uh, the hired man is a farm worker called Silas. And Silas turns up on well, he's very sick, to a farm. But it's a farm he once abandoned. He abandoned last year, the previous season, in the middle of the busy hay season. And he walked out because he was offered better pay elsewhere. So when the farmer was relying on him, Silas took off to work on another farm where there was more money. So in the poem, when the farmer, whose name is Warren, hears that Silas has turned up, he says, I'll not have the fellow back. But the farmer's wife, Mary, says that Silas has, and I quote here, nothing to look backward to with pride and nothing to look forward to with hope. Silas considers their farm as his home because he's worked at it many occasions until the last year. He considers the farm is his home. And then there's this line, two lines. Home is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Home is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Then the very next line says this. Oh, I should have called it something you somehow haven't to deserve. 
something you somehow haven't to deserve home. Well, in this parable, the son is not sure that the father will feel that he has to take him in. The son is not sure, and he thinks that to live at home, he will have to do something to deserve his place home. So he comes up with a kind of plan, doesn't he? A kind of deal, verse 17 to 20a. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against God, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father, homeward bound. ask you a question. What is the first step on the road to repentance, do you think? What is the first step on the road to repentance? Well, surely it is the conviction and then the confession that we have sinned. It is the conviction and the confession that I have sinned against heaven, against God. It's, it's striking, isn't it? The, the son makes no excuses. He doesn't blame anyone else. He doesn't say, I have sinned, but my big brother made life impossible for me. He doesn't say, I have sinned, but like David, for those of us who've been following the life of David in Psalm 51, David, when he was confronted with the prophet Nathan, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. No caveats, no conditions. I have sinned against the Lord. And then Psalm 51, against you, Lord, only have I sinned. But if conviction of sin and confession of sin are the first steps on the road to repentance, you actually have to do something else, don't you? And the son does something else. He actually acts upon his conviction and his confession and heads for home. He changes course. He is on the road to repentance. He still thinks, yes, he will need to make a bargain with his father. He still thinks he needs to make a deal with him to be accepted back, not as a son, but as a hired servant. He does not yet realize how deep the father's love is for him. He does not realize how deep the father's love is for him, despite everything the son has done. So we read verse 20b, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Still a long way off, a speck on the horizon. Picture the, the father waiting and watching day after day, week after week. When will the phone ring? When will the message come through on the phone? When will the email appear? When will the car come up the drive? When he sees his sons, when he sees his son a long way off, this remarkable father does another remarkable thing. He throws custom and dignity to one side and runs, runs with abandon to shower his, his wayward son with love and abundance. 
and the son begins his prepared speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't get any further, does he? He doesn't get to the bit. Do you notice that? Make me like one of your hired servants. Because the father breaks in and says, well, what would you expect him to say? You've a nerve. You've a nerve coming back here after all you have done to us and to my estate. You've a nerve. Well, let me tell you this. If you're going to have a place in my home, things need to be different around here. It's astonishing. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes or sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Bring so that we can have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate, or in the words of the King James, be merry. It's a great word that, isn't it? Merry. We don't use it enough to be merry. The father welcomes and embraces the one who has sinned against him. The father loves the son who has turned his back on him as if he were dead. The father does not demand any kind of payment or repayment. And the son's deal dies in his throat. And you see, the reason for that is you cannot make a deal with grace. You cannot make a deal with grace. All you can do is receive it, wonder at it, and rejoice in it. Bring him the best robe to cover his smelly piggy rags. Put a ring on his finger to give him dignity and authority of a member of this family. Give him shoes to wear. He's not going to go barefoot like the slaves do. This is my son. Bring the calf and kill it. We are going to celebrate this son of mine who was dead and is alive again, who was lost and is found. Do you see how much God the Father loves you? Do you realize how much God loves you? Despite all that you and I have sinned against him, he is filled with compassion for you. He loves to lavish his love freely on those who don't deserve it and those who could never earn it. On people like you and like me. We simply need to come to him to receive it. I wonder if you think God's forgiveness is a bit like the free toy you get with a McDonald's Happy Meal. Do they still do Happy Meals at McDonald's? Do they still give out free toys? Sometimes what we think, you know, we need to, we need to do something to get the, the rewards. That to somehow, we need to do something to earn God's love. That to come home to God is something somehow we don't deserve. Unlike what Robert Frost says in his poem. I'll do what you want, Lord, to get a place under your roof. But that is not grace. If grace can be earned by anything we do, it is not grace. 
It's payment or merit or a reward or something else. It's certainly not grace, and it's not the good news of the gospel. And it's not the way to be saved. It's not the way to be rescued. It's not the way to be found, and it's not the way to be made alive again. No, the gospel is clear. Jesus is clear. The Bible is clear. We are saved. We are rescued. We are found. We are resurrected by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. What was the grumble? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, he sure does. He sure does. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Their grumble is the gospel. Their accusation is our only hope. As we come to the Lord's table, as we come to this sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded, are we not, that our forgiveness our forgiveness and our reconciliation with God as our Father, though free to us, was costly to God. It was costly to God. We are reminded in the Lord's Supper of the great cost of our Father's love. For although God's grace for us is without charge, it is not cheap. It comes to us at the cost of another son the cost of another son. We might even say it comes to us at the price paid by another elder brother. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who loved us and has given himself for us. Jesus Christ who suffered and died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. He is the one who has paid the price of our forgiveness that we might receive it freely, so that we who are lost might be found, we who are dead might be made alive to the sound of rejoicing in heaven. Well, God is watching and God is waiting to welcome you home. I wonder what you're going to do about that. Let's pray. Father, Jesus tells us there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who think they don't need to repent. And Father, we want to thank you for the grace that draws us, draws us along the road of repentance so that we come home to the open arms of God as our Father who clothes us with the, the righteousness of Christ shoes on our feet and a ring on our finger. Oh, Father, we ask your forgiveness for the times when we think we need to earn your mercy or in some way even contribute a little bit to your grace. Father, forgive us and help us to perish the thought. Your grace is free. And it's free because Christ has paid the price in full. And we celebrate at that, Father. We rejoice at that. We thank you that Jesus has come to welcome sinners and eat with them. Amen.